I dated my wife uh, for about five years before we got married. And uh, during those five years, my relationship with her parents uh, was pretty lukewarm. Pretty lukewarm. And you would think, you know, you bring home a guy like me, it'd be like all good. But it wasn't the case. Um, they didn't hate me, but they didn't love me. Right? They didn't hate me, but they didn't love me. We would probably grab dinner like two to three times a year on average. Uh, they lived in a city in North Orange County called Buena Park. I lived in another city called La Habra, also in North Orange County. And so um, they're 15 minutes apart for, if you think about it, twice a year, 15 minutes. Maybe they didn't like me at all. Um, but when we had those dinners, right, uh, when I did meet those parents, it wasn't awkward. It really wasn't awkward. I always had a good time. And, and uh, one of the secrets was uh, I had an in with her father. I had an in with her father. He was an avid golfer, and so was I, right? So we would always just chat about golf. Hey, like, how are you playing? Where are you playing? Are you, are you buying or looking at any new stuff? We would just geek out about golf, and, and it was good. But it never went beyond that. It never went deeper than that. Now, I will never forget one of our first family dinners after Alice and I were married. After Alice and I were married. So now I'm formally her son-in-law, his son-in-law, and, and he is my father-in-law. And after the meal, he took me aside and he said, Michael, I want to talk to you. Michael, I want to talk to you. And so I was a little excited. I sensed this is going to be a real man-to-man -man moment, right, now that I am his son-in-law. And so we walked outside the restaurant and he looked me dead in the eye. He said, Michael, do you have any golf tips for me? Do you have any swing tips for me? And I smiled, albeit I was a little disappointed. Uh, but I said, sure, abonim, which is Korean, uh, uh, Korean for father. And uh, I do. I gave him some golf swing tips. Um, in our passage today, Moses is going to meet his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And they're not going to just chat about golf. Moses is going to tell his father about the work of God. And how he has delivered and saved and sustained Israel. Moses is going to evangelize to his own father-in-law. And through this passage, we are going to see a picture of family evangelism. What does it mean to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ to the people that God has placed in our lives? The closest, right? Our own family members. Today's sermon touches each and every one of us. Because I'm sure we all have a family member or two who needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They may be your parents, a sibling, your own children. It could be someone in your extended family, someone you're just really close to. Maybe it's your entire family because you are the only Christian in your family. And my prayer today is that as we look at God's word, God would give us a renewed conviction and a clear direction on how to share the gospel with our family members. If you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage today. Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 to 12. Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 to 12. Um, quick note, I know in your bulletins it says 1 to 27, and then the title is the uh, Wisdom from Midian. I actually pivoted at the end of the week, and so we're actually only going to look at the first half of our passage, and the title of today's message is Family Evangelism. Family Evangelism. So reading from verse 1 to 12, may God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses. 
and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he had sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Amen. The word of the Lord. As we work our way through our passage, we're going to see three things on family evangelism. And first is this. Our approach must be in love. Our approach must be in love. The second thing we're going to see in family evangelism is we must proclaim the work of God. We must proclaim the work of God as we evangelize. And thirdly, we must fellowship in faith. If they accept the gospel, then they are part of God's family, and we are called then to fellowship in faith. And so approach in love, proclaim the work, and then fellowship in faith. Now, the first thing I need to do today is lay down some background about Moses' family. We heard all these names of his sons, reference to his wife and his father-in-law, and I just want to, like, give background information on Moses' family. Moses met his wife Zipporah while he was in exile. After he had murdered the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew. He saw that and he murdered him, buried him in the sand, and then he was identified. People knew that he had done this and so he fled Egypt. He ran away into the wilderness and while he was in the wilderness, he stopped at a well. And at that well, these women were trying to water their camels, but these shepherds had bullied them. They were harassing them and sending them off. Moses came to their aid. And these sisters gave message to their father. Their father's name was Jethro of what this man Moses had done. Jethro hears about this. He says, hey, go get that guy. Invite him in. They have a meal together. Jethro was impressed and he was pleased with Moses. And so he gave him one of his daughters, Zipporah, for marriage. Moses and Zipporah, they had two sons. Their names were Gershom and Eliezer. And what's significant about their names is they tell the story of Moses' life. What thoughtful naming, right? He didn't just think about the popular names, the cool names, the trendy names. He said, with the names of my son, I want to tell the story of my life. And so Gershom means, I have become an alien in a foreign country, in a foreign land. And Eliezer is second means, God is my helper. God is my deliverer. And now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he was no ordinary Midian man. 
Okay, we, we read and we see that Jethro was a priest, the priest of Midian. And Midian was not aligned with Israel. They didn't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the Midianites are hostile to Israel throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 37, it's the first time we read of the people of Midian. We are told that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers to Midian merchants. Right? That whole story when Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and they sell him into slavery. Midian merchants buy him and they take him down to Egypt. And so in a very kind of indirect or even direct way, the Midianites were responsible for Israel even ending up in Egypt. Jethro is the priest of Midian. He's a pagan priest. And he's the father-in-law of Moses. Remember who Moses is. He is the leader of God's people. God used him as an instrument to be a deliverer for Israel. So just imagine that you are God's prophet, you are God's messenger, servant of Yahweh, and your father-in-law is a pagan priest. Pagan priest, right? Imagine if my wife Alice's father was like a, a Buddhist monk, right? A Jewish rabbi. What would I say to him, right? He better golf or else we're just going to be in conflict like the whole time. How uncomfortable and awkward that would have been. And Moses kind of keys into this. In our 12 verses, did you notice as I was reading it, he keeps referring to Jethro as his father-in-law. Eight times in 12 verses, Moses reminds us, this man was my father-in-law. This Midian priest, this pagan is my father-in-law. Right? Emphasizing just how complicated their relationship was. He's like, did I mention he's my father-in-law? Well, Jethro has heard about Israel's deliverance. And he brings Moses' family back to him at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. He brings Jethro, I mean uh, Zipporah and his two grandchildren back to Moses. Now, we aren't sure when Moses sent his family away to Jethro. Okay? Scholars kind of believe it's probably two times, one of two times. Either first, after they cross the Red Sea. And enter into the wilderness, Moses was, may have said, hey, Zipporah, take our two boys, go back to your father. Right? Or, or it was right before Genesis 17 when they battled the Amalekites. Moses realized, hey, we're about to go to war. It is not safe for you and our children. Go to your father. Right? I'll let you know when everything is safe and done. So one of those two times, but either way, Moses was separated from his family. Jethro brings them back after he hears of their deliverance, of, of God's victory in Israel's life. Uh, yeah, Israel's life. And in verse 7, we are told, okay, as Jethro is making his way towards Moses. Verse 7, we are told, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked of each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses knows who his father-in-law is, right? He knows he's a pagan priest. There's no question about it. But Moses wants Jethro to know the true and living God. Moses knows that he is called to evangelize, to share the good news and the truth of God to not just his people, the Israelites, but to be a prophet and a messenger to all. And the first thing Moses does is approach his father-in-law in love. In love. In ancient culture, a man of great stature, do you know what he would do? He would wait in his tent and let the lesser person come to him. 
Okay, the lesser person would have to move towards the greater person. And although Jethro was the priest of Midian, who was Moses? Moses was the leader of Israel. Moses led a nation of over a million people. Moses contended against Pharaoh and won. Moses was the prophet and servant and deliverer used by God. He was a de facto king. Who was greater? And the answer is Moses. But Moses, almost like the father in the story of the prodigal son, Moses goes towards Jethro. He goes towards him and he bows down and he kisses him and he embraces him and he reaches out to this family member with warm, affectionate love. He honors him and he embraces him. Friends, how do you treat your family? How do you treat your family? And how do you treat the ones who you know are not in Christ? They are not in, in Christianity. They are not uh, believers of the gospel. You see how they're living? You see what they're doing? You do not approve. How do you treat them? There are many of us here today, we give our friends our best and we give our family our worst. Are you that kind of person? You would never curse at your friends. You'd never blow up at them. You, you don't blow them off, but you do that with your parents. You do that with your spouse. You do that towards your children. There's so many of us sitting here today, we treat our friends better than we treat our family members. You get excited about going on vacations with your friends. You plan that out, you're thrilled, all you save up for it, and then you dread spending a weekend with your parents. Your parents say, hey, let's go on a vacation. You're like, please, no. You do everything you can to get out of it. You dread holidays with your family members. And so what do you do? We have Friendsgiving, right? Friendsgiving, and that's more fun than your family Thanksgiving. And instead of loving our family members who do not know Jesus, we often treat them as the outcasts in our family. A lot of times they're seen as constant disappointments or the black sheep. I grew up with this dynamic in my own family. I had an uncle who was the only non-Christian in our family. And every time this uncle did or said something that was kind of um, off-putting to our family members, I remember hearing my grandmother and I remember my parents saying, it's because he's not a Christian. It's because he's not a Christian. That's why he's saying that. That's why he's acting out that way. That's why he's the way he is. It's because he is not a Christian. They would put him down and look down on him. And you know what that did? That rubbed off on me. And so I judged my own uncle. And I looked down on him. I said, man, this uncle, he doesn't even know Jesus. He doesn't know anything. To this day, I still struggle with a critical heart towards him. Church, if you want to take family evangelism seriously, okay, if you want to take this seriously, we must begin with a willingness to love. We must begin with a willingness to humble ourselves. Moses bowed down and kissed a pagan priest. He embraced a pagan priest, his father-in-law. Why? It wasn't just culture. It's because he wanted his father-in-law to know God, the true and living God. Phil Riken, president of Wheaton College, he tells a story of a man in his church who became a Christian before his wife. He and his wife, uh, they, they, they didn't grow up religious and they weren't religious. They didn't go to church together. But through a co-worker, he came to accept the gospel first. And this husband, this man knew that if he just told his wife about it, 
If he just told his wife to go to church, told his wife to believe in Jesus, she would think he was out of his mind. Right? That would have just turned into more fights and more conflict. And so this is what he said. He said, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to love her with this new love that I have from God. I don't know how to evangelize to my wife. I just became a Christian. Right? I don't know how to win her over to Christ. I'm just going to love her with the kind of love that I've received from God. She noticed almost immediately. And soon God opened her heart to receive the gospel as well. Brothers and sisters, do you see your family members, right? Do you want to see your family members experience the love of Christ? Do you truly want that? If you do, you are called to show it to them. You are called to put it on display. You are called to demonstrate it with your own attitude, with your own actions, with your own behavior. Friends, remember how Christ has loved you. And do all that you can to imitate that love towards your family. Let love be the first apologetic. Okay? Let your love towards that family members be the first apologetic. Before you debate, before you argue, before you preach, before you tell them to go to church, put the love of God on display. And remember that Christ's love is sacrificial. It's humble. It's beautiful. Remember how Christ has loved you and know that first, if you want to reach that family member with the love of God, you have to put it on display. But, okay, I am not just kind of position or uh, reinforcing this phrase. I, I'm sure if you've been around the church, you might have heard it. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi supposedly quoted this, um, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words, right? Um, it's a novel statement, very poetic and eloquent, but it's wrong. Whenever we preach the gospel, we must use words. We must communicate the gospel. The first thing, the, most ne- the, the necessary thing is to love. Yes, we must put it on display. Yes, we must imitate Jesus Christ. But that is necessary but not sufficient. What we must do is communicate with our words who God is and what God has done. We must proclaim the work of God. And so... That's the first step of family evangelism. Love like Jesus. Second step, you must proclaim Jesus. You must proclaim the work of God. We see this in Moses. Once Moses and Jethro, they greet one another. They exchange pleasantries. Right? They go then into Moses' tent. And in verse 8 we are told, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. This was no five-minute chat. Moses was recounting to Jethro the story of Exodus from chapter 4 all the way to 17. He was telling Jethro about how Pharaoh had enslaved the Hebrew people for generations. He told him of all of the signs that God had given him to try and convince Pharaoh to let his people go. He recounted all of the plagues that God had inflicted over Egypt. He talked about the Passover meal and how the angel of death passed over the entire land. How that broke Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh's will. He talked about their their escape, their flight from Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, how Israel crossed over the dry land. And how when the Egyptian army pursued them, the waters came down crashing. He talked about their journey through the wilderness. 
and how difficult it was. There were days without water, days without food. The people grumbled. They were angry. They complained. But you know what God did? He provided. He made the bitter water sweet. He brought down manna from heaven each day. He made water come from a rock. This was all that Moses told Jethro, making much of God. His words to Jethro were utterly God-centered. They were a proclamation of God's work and not his, of how Yahweh delivered his people from Egypt and how Yahweh was sustaining them all the way along. Moses could have shown Jethro his own resume. Hey, father-in-law, look at me. Look look how great I became. When I first met you, I was on the run. I was a nobody, right? I was an ex-prince running for my life. But look at what I've become. I've become the, the leader of a nation. He could have said that, but he didn't. He didn't use this opportunity before family to make much of himself. He was making much of God. If anything, if Moses talked about himself, it would have been embarrassing. Because Moses was a reluctant leader. Moses was a murderer. Moses was weak when God called him to be strong, especially in the beginning of his calling. It wasn't making much of Israel. Israel had actually got in the way of God with their unbelief, their disobedience, their complaining. Israel deserved to be cut off. And yet the story of Exodus is God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his people, how he saves them by grace alone. This is what Moses was doing. This is what it means to boast not in ourselves, but in the cross. You see, the reason why you and I were ineffective in family evangelism, or just evangelism in general, is because we focus too much on ourselves. We really do. We, we, we think, man, I, gotta, I need to have this kind of profound story. I need to have uh, some dramatic story of being transformed from maybe my drug addiction, illness, financial hardship, some kind of desperate, intense situation. And if I have that, and then say, and, and, and then, but now look at me, I'm good. God saved me. And then we think that's a beautiful, powerful testimony. And a lot of us here, we don't have that. Right? We have an ordinary Christian life. A lot of you grew up in the church and you, you came to faith as an adolescent or as a young adult, maybe at a retreat, a Bible study, at a Sunday worship, and you don't have some epic story. And so we think, I don't really have much to say. I don't have much to say. So we are not bold evangelists. Another thing that we do by focusing too much on ourselves, we think, man, the right to evangelize, especially to my family who knows me, who's watching me. They know my hypocrisy. I can't fake it in front of my spouse or my parents or my children. We think the right to evangelize is a status to be earned. You think, you know what? I will. I'll tell my father about Jesus once I get my life in order. Once I'm above reproach. I'll tell my kids about Jesus uh, when I learn more. When I study more, when I've actually read the Bible through and through and and been, quote-unquote, Christianese, equipped. But I haven't been equipped yet. I haven't matured or grown enough yet. And so we think that we haven't hit this status. And until we do, we're not qualified to evangelize, especially to our families. Friends, that is not true evangelism. That's not what we see here. True evangelism is our testimony of how God saves sinners. How God saves sinners. 
how God has saved us in sheer grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So for Moses, it's his testimony of how God saved him despite himself, despite his track record, despite his cowardice, despite his reluctance. Go back and read about Moses. I mean, right now in Exodus 18, he is a mighty, godly, righteous man. In the beginning books of Exodus, nobody talks back to God as much as Moses, right? Nobody gave God excuses, reasons to disobey, right? Reasons, he literally told God, you have the wrong person. You, God, you chose the wrong person. But Moses' story is not about himself. It's about God and how he saves sinners. And for us to evangelize and share the good news, it's about sharing the story of how God has delivered us from our sin and how God sustains us despite all that you and I do to mess it up, despite all of the ways we don't deserve his love and his grace and his acceptance. It's about making much of God. And that is a message that every Christian is able to tell. Okay? Every single one of us should be able to say that. And we should be excited to tell. Yet not I, but Christ through me. I was lost, but now I'm found. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Can I say one more thing about family evangelism? Family evangelism. Trying to reach out and, 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 and see people come to Christ. Evangelism is not telling people to go to church. Okay? It's not telling people to go to church. It's not inviting them to a community group, inviting them to a retreat. Or it's not calling up a pastor and saying, will you look after my friend? Will you look after my children? And think, I've done the work of God. Right? I sent my kids to the youth retreat. Right? Now they're going to be Christian. That's in the, that's in the pastor's hands and, and whatever it might be. Even this week, I got a random call. Right? Random call from a grandfather who got my phone number from the Korean admin office. I really wish they wouldn't do that. Right? So he calls me up. I normally screen calls. If it's an unknown number, I'm just like, I ignore it. But for some reason, I was like, I picked it up. Right? And it's this Korean grandfather, and he calls me. And I, and I never met him. I, I, I don't even know his name. And he asked me to um, take care of his grandson. He was concerned about him and his faith. Right? And um, he did what so many of us do. As a grandfather who wants to see his grandson know Jesus, he sent him to church and called the pastor. Right? Friends, that's not evangelism. That's not being missional towards your family. I love what Pastor Tay, our, our KM senior pastor, tells his con- congregation. The church is not a dry cleaners. The church is not a dry cleaners where you get to drop off your dirty kids, right? get them all cleaned up in worship or cleaned up at the retreat, and then you get to pick them up again. Perfect dry cleaners, right? One hour service, right? right? Three day pickup and everything's pressed and clean and spot free. Church is not a dry cleaners. Right? We are called. We are called to our families. We are called to evangelize and be missional. According to a study conducted by Scientific American, uh, the average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. Okay, 16,000 words per day. And then 80% of your words go to five to seven people. Just think about that. 16,000 words per day, 80% of your words are directed at five to seven people. These are our closest coworkers, family members, and friends. And it is a safe bet that my five to seven people are different from your five to seven people. 
And it's another safe bet that those five to seven people that you use 80% of your words on, they don't listen to our podcast. They're not listening to me preach. They're not listening to anyone preach the gospel. But they're listening to you. They're listening to you speak thousands and thousands of words to them each day, each week, each year. And I want to ask you, how are you using your words? How are you using your words? What are you talking about? Because our words are one of our chief tools to influence people. And how many of those words are a testimony of who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ to save sinners. How do we use those words? How do we use our words for that that beautiful purpose? God has called us to reach the lost, especially our family members. So first, we must approach in love. Second, we must proclaim the work of God. And thirdly, we must embrace them and welcome them into fellowship and faith. After Moses tells Jethro about all that God has done, Jethro responds in an astonishing way. This pagan priest, okay, don't, don't undersell this, okay. He is the priest of Midian. He has devoted his entire life towards the worship of the false gods of Midian. The study of the Midian religion. This man responds in this fashion, verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Kicker, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Three observations regarding Jethro's response and why we should believe that this marked his conversion. First, he uses the covenant name of God. He says Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh. And he rejoices in it. He takes joy in the name of Yahweh and the work of Yahweh for the people of Yahweh. In Exodus 2, Jethro was pleased with Moses. He was pleased with Moses for helping out his daughters. And so what does he do? He gives Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Here in Exodus 18, he is pleased with God. He is pleased with God. He rejoices in God. And so what does he do? He gives God his worship, his praise, his heart. The second reason, the second thing we need to see, Jethro recounts God's mighty work. And he blesses the Lord for what he had done. It wasn't about just Moses telling the story of God's deliverance. Jethro says it back. He declares it. He recounts it. This is what we do when we're singing praise, right? We're singing of who God is. We're singing of all that God has done. Jethro is doing this. And he uses the word barak, which is bless in Hebrew. It's also another word for praise. It's a word for worship. And Jethro himself is not just listening listening to Moses praise God. He himself, with his own lips, is praising God. And he declares, now I know that Yahweh is mightier than all the other gods. That Yahweh is greater than all the other gods, greater than the gods of Egypt, greater than the gods of Midian. Yahweh is greater. 
And the final thing Jethro does is he makes a sacrifice. And we know that in the Old Testament, that is the ultimate expression of worship and devotion. He makes a sacrifice to Yahweh. Verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Aaron is Moses' brother. Moses and the 70 elders of Israel, they all gather. And they eat with Jethro. They eat with this Midian priest. And that is the ultimate sign of acceptance. That's the ultimate sign of relationship. They have table, fellowship, together. And church, this is the goal of evangelism. This is the goal of evangelism. To see sinners turn away from their idols and turn towards God. And then to experience fellowship and communion with that person. With those people. The goal of evangelism is to see your family members, your friends be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's what we're hoping for. That is what we're praying for. And I want to ask you, do you have that goal, that desire as you think about your unbelieving family member? Parents, do you want to see your children one day? Do you long to see your children one day worshiping beside? Do you long to see your children one day walking with you up these aisles to receive communion with you? Having table fellowship with you. Because they can say, the God of my father and my mother is my God. The savior of my father and mother is my personal savior and Lord. What a beautiful sight that would be as parents. Is that your chief desire? Or do we desire and pursue lowly things for our children? Friends, how much do you long to see your siblings, your parents, your friends and family members worship alongside you? As you think about them who do not yet know Christ, do you imagine how sweet it would be to worship with them, to call them your true brother and sister in faith, you long to see them rejoice in Jesus Christ as you rejoice in Christ? Or when you think about your relationship with them, are you content just sitting around a TV eating chicken wings and pizza and watching football? That is going to happen next week when the Super Bowl comes. And I want you to ask yourself, is this, is, is that what our relationship amounts to? We eat together. We watch TV together. We go on vacations together. We shop together. All these just earthly, carnal, temporal experiences. Or do you long to experience something deeper with your friends? Something deeper with your family members? Something deeper with your siblings? And that depth is found only in Christ. That kind of fellowship. Do we long for that? In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, God told Pharaoh why he's doing everything that he's doing. Why all the signs? Why all the plagues? Why, why is he going to bring the, part the Red Sea and all of that? And he, this is what he says. He says, it is to show my power over Egypt so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And what God is telling Pharaoh is that what this is, it's not just for Israel and the small nation alone. What I am doing in the Exodus is for the nations. 
It's so that everyone would know who I am. It's so that everyone would look to me as their savior, as their deliverer, and as their God. And what's beautiful in Exodus chapter 18, our passage today, is that Jethro, the priest of Midian, he is one of the first to fulfill this promise. He is one of the first to fulfill this global kingdom, eternal purpose of God. He is a Gentile. He is a pagan who comes to know Yahweh as his true and living God. And friends, God is not done working out that promise. God is not finished yet. He is still saving sinners and he's calling us to be his witnesses. God our Father is not done adopting, reclaiming and redeeming his sons and daughters into his family. And I hope that this is a great encouragement for you, for those who have been waiting a long time to see their loved ones come to faith. I know there are many parents who pray, who long and they ache to see their children come to faith. As parents, you see your children go through adolescence and you worry, man, does, this, does my kid know Jesus? Are they going to turn out okay? I know many of our church members, they long to see their parents come to faith in Jesus Christ. And their worry, their distress only grows as they see their parents aging and approaching and nearing death. They are more concerned about their eternal souls and their relationship to Jesus. And we ask, God, how long? When are you going to answer our prayers? When will you save? When will they know Jesus Christ? Our passage is exceptional. Rarely does anyone come to faith in this kind of direct, radical manner as Jethro did. For most of us, seeing family members come to faith, it's a long journey. It is a long journey. But I just want to say this. Okay? Remember your journey. Remember your journey, how long it took you to know Jesus Christ. How many times did you hear the gospel before you actually accepted it? How many retreats, how many Bible studies, especially if you grew up in the church, just think about how slow you and I were to accepting Jesus Christ. You see, if you grew up in a Christian home, there were probably a lot of people waiting for you, waiting on you praying for you, enduring and long-suffering as they saw you make a wreck of your life, as they saw you follow after the things of this world, as they saw you striving for, for success, grades, vain things, and they're like, oh my gosh, Michael, what are you doing with your life? When will you come to know Jesus? When will you come to know what our true purpose is? And when we think about our own lives and all the people that have been praying for us, ministering to us, the day you became a Christian, whether it was in high school, college, adulthood, or later, the day you became a Christian was the day their faith became sight. It was the day their prayers were answered. The day that God was faithful and made good on his promises. So I want to ask you, will you do the same? Will you endure in prayer? We press in and courage and realize, hey, prayer is an important work, but you also have to tell them about Jesus. You need to proclaim the work of God to your family members and not just say, hey, you should go to church. 
Welcome to all nations. On a regular Sunday, our sound system's pretty good. We don't use this far. Tell them about Jesus. All who God is and all that he has done. Would you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us today that we're not only called to our community, we're not only called to the, to the poor and the destitute, we're not only called to the nations and the, end of the ends of the earth, you call us to minister to our families. The people that you have put in our lives, the people that we encounter on a daily, regular basis, Lord, would you put in our hearts a great desire, a burning desire to see our family members know and love and worship Christ. Lord, we trust in you. We know, Lord, that you are the God who numbers our days, that you are sovereign over all things, and so we pray your will be done. And until we see, until we see our friends and family come to know Jesus Christ, help us not to give up. Help us to press on and persevere. Help us to be faithful and steadfast in prayer and intentional about using our words, using our influence, using our encounters, not for just cheap, momentary things, but for your eternal purposes. Help us to speak the truth in love. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.